Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in three, two, one. Again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm thrilled to begin a new leadership series within the podcast as I welcome in my special guest today, Jim Kuzis. Jim is a best-selling author, an award-winning speaker, and according to the Wall Street Journal, one of the 12 best executive educators in the United States. With Barry Posner, Jim Kuzis is the co-author of a timeless classic, The Leadership Challenge, that has now sold more than 2.5 million copies. First published in 1987, the sixth edition of The Leadership Challenge was released in 2017 and has been translated now in 22 different languages. The book has also been named one of the top 100 business books of all time. Jim is the former chairman, CEO, and president of the Tom Peters Company and currently serves as the Dean's Executive Fellow of Leadership at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara University. For more than 30 years, Fortune 500 companies and nonprofits have turned to the Leadership Challenge to discover research-based solutions to find best practices in leadership. Among those you will find in this book are the five practices of exemplary leadership. It was truly an honor to talk with Jim Kuzis about his thoughts on leadership, navigating the change process, and he also had some great advice for school leaders. So I hope you can kick back, relax, maybe turn up the volume, and enjoy this leadership conversation with Jim Kuzis. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm so excited today as we shift gears a little bit and really focus on leadership as I have a very special guest, Jim Kuzis. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Greg. Hope well, thanks you're so doing much for same. joining me. Uh, you are the, the co-author of one of the greatest leadership books of all time, one of the best-selling leadership books called The Leadership Challenge with the co-author Barry Posner. It has sold over 2 million copies and is now available in 22 languages. This is a book that first came out, Jim, almost, uh, well, more than 30 years ago. So, I mean, it's a timeless classic, and it's hard to believe that you're still talking about it after all this time. Well, thank you very much, Greg. It is something we feel very blessed to have had this kind of success, and we just appreciate all the people who have uh, read and, and applied our work in schools and in corporations and healthcare institutions and academic settings, universities. So we are, we just feel very, very grateful. Well, you've helped so many people along the way. I know you specialize working with corporate America, with business leaders, but you also work with coaches, work with schools, work with anyone in a leadership capacity. I've heard you say a couple different times that leadership is an aspiration. 
And I've always said myself, uh, as I lead a, a principal preparation program here in higher education, that leadership is always a work in progress. And uh, can you talk a little bit about the aspiration element of leadership? Because it's always something that's going to continue to evolve regardless of what role you're in. Well, Greg, one of the things that my co-author Barry Posner and I have always said is that uh, leaders, leadership is an aspiration. It's you, you aspire to lead and the constituents choose to follow. And I think it's a very important concept for all of us to, to, who aspire to be leaders to understand that, that leadership is always something we are striving to accomplish. We, we, have, we have never found anyone as a leader who has 100% of all cons possible constituents supporting them considering the, the, them to be their leader. So we are always aspiring to do better than we currently do. And we should always keep that in mind. We should never feel satisfied with the leadership we're doing. The other thing we find in our research, Greg, is that those leaders who continuously practice on a day-to-day -day basis, continue to learn on a day-to-day -day basis, more frequently involve themselves in learning activities, are more likely to be higher performers according to their constituents and objective measures and have more engaged workforce. So you can never let up. You know, obviously uh, the role of the leader in any organization is going to be crucial to success. And as, as you kind of think about that, we talk a lot on this program about uh, school leadership, whether it's a superintendent, whether it's a principal, assistant principal, uh, you can lead from a lot of different places. Even teachers can be leaders within their school. Why is it so difficult to go down that road and lead people a lot of times that may not want to be led? Well, I think in, in leadership is always a challenge. And that's one of, you know, adversity is the crucible for greatness. It is, it is where, where leaders demonstrate their their best abilities is when things are challenging to them. So Barry and I consider adversity and difficulty to be the, the path to greatness. It is the opportunity. But all leaders face challenges and difficulties at all times. And, and in some organizations, it's easier. And in other organizations, it's, it's not. In, in schools, it's particularly difficult these days because of funding cuts, the, the staffing problems, the overcrowded conditions, the external pressures that are that we are facing, it, it pre presents a lot of adversity. But again, uh, what we found when we find when we ask people about their personal best leadership experiences is that they're always identified with adversity, challenge, and difficulty. So this is an opportunity for principals, superintendents, teachers, coaches to demonstrate their capacities to lead. I'll add one other thing which is that the data, in fact, if I could read you a quote uh, from a doctoral dissertation by Jonathan Wallace at, at uh, Regent University, who did his doctoral dissertation on leadership in schools as it relates to improvement in schools and student learning. He said, the verdict is in. Leadership behaviors play a major role in the reaction, learning, and behavior of students. Leadership will continue to contribute to the improvement of schools and student learning. And what he found is that in schools, those individuals who, in his case, he was taking a look at 
uh, school principals and superintendents. But the same would be true for, we found for teachers going through teacher leader certificate programs, is that those teachers and, and staff and, and administrators who more frequently engage in the five practices of exemplary leadership, our model, our framework for talking about leadership, those who more frequently engage in model, inspire, challenge, enable, and encourage, have more engaged employees and have higher performing workforces in all kinds of settings than those who engage in them less frequently. And so on, on our website, Greg, we have over 200 abstracts of uh, dissertations and master's theses done in, edu in, in secondary education. And all of them demonstrate very clearly that the more you engage in leadership practices, the more likely it is that you will have higher performing students, higher performing uh, staff, higher performing schools in general. You know, you, uh, so the, I think the evidence is there, as Jonathan said. And you, you touched on it a little bit, and I do want to go through this, but the, the five practices from the book, The Leadership Challenge, are model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act and encourage the heart. And, and I certainly want to kind of touch on, on those areas while, while I have you here. I also think a little bit about, uh, you know, we're, we're in 2018, getting ready to enter 2019. We talk a lot in, in the school setting about disruptive leadership because technology has been such a game changer and we're preparing kids for a future that we're really not sure what that's going to look like. So it's kind of hard to get your crystal ball out and figure out what direction you want to take your school. It's, it's the same way in the corporate world. Uh, you know, Blockbuster probably had no idea that at one point you would be able to buy movies online. Uh, you know, again, they don't have the crystal ball to be able to see that. So it can become a little overwhelming at times from a leadership perspective, thinking about how you're going to lead the unknown. Now, that's always a challenge for leaders. One of the things that we know that differentiates leaders, in fact, it is the, the distinguishing characteristic of leaders, is that they are forward-looking. If you ask people, what do you look for and admire in a leader? Someone whose direction you would willingly follow. Four things end up on the list by over 60% of people. The number one is that they're honest. The, num the second one is that they're competent. The third is that leaders are inspiring, but also on the list is forward-looking. Uh, forward-looking is an attribute that people expect of leaders. If you ask people what they look for in a colleague, you will get honest on the list and you'll get competent on the list. And you won't get inspiring and forward-looking. And so one of the things that differentiates leaders from colleagues is that they are forward-looking and that they have the energy to communicate that vision of the future to others in such a way that they will feel excited and inspired by it. So being forward-looking comes with the job of leading. If you're going to be a leader, you need to spend more time in the future. Yes, it's uncertain. As you point out, the world is changing. Who knew that Sears would go bankrupt in 2018 one of the oldest retail organizations in the country started the whole idea of mail order catalogs for ordering 
now it's Amazon or Walmart that's dominating the scene. And so, yes, you can't predict that, but you can anticipate changes by spending more time looking outside of the organization and asking yourself, what are the scientific changes? What are the societal changes? What are the kinds of values changes that are happening culturally? What's happening globally? That's putting pressure on our institution that we are going to have to deal with and our students are gonna have to deal with in the future. And you know, I think this is a good time to bring up the point that the leadership challenge, the book, is very heavy on, on research and analytics. You have, you've done thousands and thousands of interviews. You have a database with, I think the last I heard, two or three million responses in it. And you use a tool called the LPI, the Leadership uh, Practices Inventory. And if you use this assessment tool, it's gonna lead you in the right direction. Yes, we, we, have, we use, our research began by asking people, what do you do when you're at your best as a leader? Tell us, tell us a story about your personal best leadership experience. And in doing that research, research, Greg, we discovered that there are five exemplary practices, uh, but we had to go beyond the case studies and see if we could quantify that in some way and help people to, to see if the, this model was actually reliable over time and, and could validly predict uh, that people would be better if people engaged, if leaders engaged in these practices. So we created a tool called Leadership Practices Inventory. It has 30 items on it, a set of behaviors, uh, six of which measure each practice. And we looked at the extent to which the engagement in those practices would create higher levels of commitment, more satisfaction, a greater sense of teamwork, a belief that the leader was effective, a sense that you found the work your work meaningful. Uh, so we had 10 outcome measures that we looked at, as well as then looking at uh, specific measurable outcomes in different settings like schools or corporations, profitability, for example, or retention uh, or graduation rates. And we found that the more you engage in these practices, the more likely it is that you'll have higher uh, outcomes uh, and more engaged workforce in your organizations. And I've also heard you say on a few different occasions, uh, different interviews I've, I've heard that uh, you participated in, that of these five practices, probably the most difficult for people really to wrap their head around is the vision piece. And too many times as a leader, you know, you're hired for the job, you get the big office and you start your job on day one and you're expected to have this huge vision to turn things around, but it doesn't work that way. It, the vision is one, uh, absolutely one piece of it, uh, but it is only one of the five practices. So it's the distinguishing quality. Uh, but one of the things we found in our research, interestingly enough, uh, Greg, was that when you look at the specific items that measure inspire a shared vision, three of them end up in the, uh, at the, in the bottom four on the, if you look globally at the scores on the leadership practice inventory, end up in the bottom four measures of the five practices. Those four items, those three items, all have to do with the ability to communicate a vision to other people. So we have 30 items, 10% of those items, three, end up at the bottom of the list and all three have to do with communicating a vision. So the issue isn't so much that 
principals or superintendents or teachers or staff in schools can't see the future, can't at least imagine a better tomorrow, but it's the inability to communicate it effectively that is the biggest challenge when it comes to inspire a shared vision. And, and then, you know, the, the word that scares all of us in a leadership position is change. And there are, I, there are tons and tons of resources out there to read about the change process. But until you're actually in the trenches and you're the person responsible for leading that change, you really have no idea how daunting of a task that can be. Uh, when you go out and speak uh, and people ask you about the change proce process, what advice do you give them? Well, one of the interesting things about the research that we did, Greg, was that when we asked people to tell us their personal best leadership experiences, every single one of them was about changing something. No one ever did his or her best by keeping things exactly the way they are. <laughs> we only do our best when we're changing something or addressing a challenge or dealing with a difficulty. As ironic as it might seem, you might think that if we could keep everything calm and smooth and a perfectly still and have no change, that organizations would be more effective. The opposite is true. Those organizations which are constantly learning, constantly changing, constantly looking for better ways to do things are the ones that end up excelling. If you go back to your example, the example earlier of, of uh, Walmart, Amazon, and Sears. One of the qualities of Amazon, as an example, is it's continuously experimenting with new ways of doing things. Going into businesses that it, no one would have ever imagined it would be in. Because it's constantly trying to renew itself. The same is true in schools. Those schools which do better at improving are those which are constantly experimenting with better ways to do things. And so, yes, change is difficult, but that's the job of a leader. That's why we have leaders. It, we don't ask leaders, please lead us to the same place we already are. Please keep us where we are. We want leaders to take us to places we've never been before. Right. And, you know, Jim, in doing some research on you for this conversation, I know for a fact that you're a big basketball fan out there on the West Coast. You follow the Golden State Warriors. And... I think, you know, I have a coaching background myself, coaching high school basketball in the state of Illinois for a while. And a lot of leadership books out there are from successful coaches. What is it about that coaching profession that uh, drives so much thought in the leadership realm? It is kind of fascinating. And, and not only are we big basketball fans, we're also big tennis fans. Our son uh, played tennis collegiately. Uh, he was number one at UC Davis uh, when he went there at NC2A Division I school, and uh, he was singles and doubles player. And, and so we are, we are definitely fans of coaches. And I, re I think part of what coaches understand is that to be your best, you have to continuously improve. You have to continuously practice. And coaches are, uh, particularly if you're talking about high school and collegiate level, are dealing with different groups of people every four years. Well, every year there's a new class coming in, but every four years things turn over. Uh, those you started with end up leaving and moving on. So they know they have a very brief period of time to, be, to, to help someone to become their very best. 
in, in organizations, we may have longer periods of time, although they seem to be getting shorter, but uh, to develop people. But in, organ in, in, in sports, we have short, very short periods of time. So we really have to pay attention to what kids do every day, day in and day out, or what are professional athletes do every day, day in and day out. I, I remember uh, when we were, when I, when I was visiting a uh, East Coast University, uh, and I was talking with uh, Dick Schalk, who played bat baseball at, uh, at that university, at uh, Lemoyne uh, College. And uh, his coach was Dick Rockwell. And, and uh, Don said to me, you know, Dick used to say something to us every year at the beginning of the season. He would say, practice begins at three and ends at five. And if that's all you do, we won't win and you won't play. You probably can relate to that, right? Yeah, exactly. So if all you do is come to practice and put in those two hours, you know, you might, you might, you might be okay, average, but you're not going to be great. And we're probably not going to play you because you're not going to excel. And definitely our team isn't going to win. So I think what coaches understand is that it takes a lot of effort to become good, to be an even more effort to become great. Well, I'm also a basketball fan and a sports fan in general, and I think about some examples of great coaches throughout, throughout history. You know, out there on the West Coast, uh, you know, John Wooden with his Pyramid of Success, you read stories about him really breaking it down to the very bare basics of teaching his players how to tie their shoes the first day of practice. You think about, um, you know, Steve Kerr is your head coach out there at Golden State. He played for the great Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson uh, used to give – uh, reading assignments to his players. He would pick out books that he thought would resonate with each player and, and try to, you know, give them an opportunity to think differently about whatever role they may play on the team. Uh, it, it's amazing all these different methods that, that are used by these top-level coaches. Even here in Central Kentucky, you know, I'm in the heart of Big Blue Nation. We're all Kentucky Wildcat basketball fans. John Calipari uh, talks about servant leadership, which really goes with number five, encourage the heart, and why that's so important. Absolutely. And I, ha I also um, am on an advisory board to Gonzaga University, and the, and the Zags have done very well uh, in the NCA, uh, NC2A. And um, they also have a member of the faculty who teaches servant leadership to business school students, as a former basketball player there, by the way, who uh, is involved with them as a, on a regular basis in teaching the, the players on the Gonzaga men's basketball team servant leadership. So I think one of the things that good coaches, great coaches understand is that it's not about you, the player. It's not about me, the coach. It is about the team. It is about the organization and how we are all serving that purpose. We're not, not, we're, we're not serving ourselves and just doing this for us, and we are doing it for the team. You also hit earlier on this idea that, uh, you know, you, you have to disrupt the status quo if you're going to be, in my opinion, if you're going to be a successful leader, if you're really going to make a difference, whether it's an organization, whether it's a school, but there are different types of ways of doing that. Can, in your opinion, can an introverted person be an outstanding leader? And, and how would they 
how would that look differently than someone that may be more extroverted like myself? So actually, you're familiar with the MBTI, Myers-Briggs type indicator, mm -hmm. and, and we, we've actually done some research looking at uh, introverts, extroverts, and uh, we find that introverts are just as capable of engaging in the five practices as ex extroverts. Uh, they just do it differently. So rather than be, uh, be someone, an introvert is not necessarily someone who might get up like, uh, like you or I or Martin Luther King and give an inspiring speech or even uh, Phil Jackson. They might be more likely to sit down one-on-one -on -one and talk to people. But they can still inspire that person, inspire them in a very different way, in a, in a quieter way. And so it, leadership is not at all about personality, Greg. It's about behavior. And we, we find, for example, that the five practices are equally applicable in, in North America and in Asia, which is very different. They're much, much less noisy as a population. They are much quieter, but yet they have the capacity to demonstrate these five practices according to our research, to the same extent as someone here to, in the United States, as an example. And so it's these five practices, leadership, exemplary leadership practices are not specific to a personality type and, and they're not specific to a, a type of organization. Demographics, age, gender, uh, type of organization you're in, level, position, demographics only explain about three-tenths of one percent of why leaders are effective. What explains most of why they're effective is the extent to which they engage in exemplary leadership practices, their behavior. And so I, I know from experience that, you know, too many times uh, if you're in a, uh, whether it's an MBA program or a school leadership program, uh, at some point, you're going to have a course on leadership theory. Do you think we get too wrapped up into different types of theories or leadership styles? You know, we can talk all day about transformational leadership and what that looks like, servant leadership. But in reality, if we look at those five principles in your book, shouldn't that be the building block for success? The, I think we do. Uh, as an academic, uh, former academic, uh, I, I love to read about different people's theories about leadership, and I love to drill down into quantitative research and read some very arcane findings, and that, that makes me, that, that actually energizes me. I like to learn these new things. But practitioners want to know how to put that theory into practice. And if you look at all the different leadership models, uh, you'll find that at least 80% of what people say is exemplary leadership is exactly the same. They just give it a different label. So emotional intelligence, we talk about it as enabling others to act and encouraging the heart. Uh, and so transformational leadership, uh, it really is about uh, the, very similar to our five practices. So we give different labels to these behaviors, but 80%, probably even 90% of it is exactly the same. And so what's important for practitioners to do is to put these practices to work every day, day in and day out, and to engage in them more frequently than they do now. 
You know, I, I think about, uh, if I could circle back to school leadership, I think about the, the high school principal or, or the middle school principal. Uh, we've been in school now. Uh, we're approaching November 1st. So schools have been in session in my area now for about 10 weeks. And, and maybe they're coming to the reali realization that some things just aren't working and something has to be changed. Something has to be done. What advice would you give to those principals or superintendents that are going to listen to this podcast about uh, dealing with that frustration level and then making a shift to trying something new? Well, a couple, couple of things. I, I think we need to build in a routine about this and not just do something when we realize there's a need for change. And I, but I think the most important thing any leader can do when they sense that things need to be changing is to listen. As one of my mentors used to say, grow big ears. We need to sit down and listen to what the issues are and the concerns are and not assume that we have all the answers. What are people's complaints? What are people's hopes, dreams, and aspirations? What are our shared values? You know, we can't get commitment to anything, Greg, as a leader until we first are clear about what people's issues are and that they are clear and that they know we're clear. They know we understand. And then that there's a level of agreement consensus about what it is that needs to happen. So the second thing that any leader needs to do who wants to bring about change is to make sure that people are in fundamental, they understand where we're headed, where, where the problems we need to address, they understand where we need to be headed, and we're in agreement about that. So clarity, then consensus, and only then can we get commitment. So first thing is to listen. Second thing is to make sure that everyone's on the same page, and then to look at the behaviors that will help to implement that change. You know, there are still a lot of people out there um, using the leadership challenge for book studies or using them in uh, college preparatory work. And again, it's a very popular book throughout all different uh, levels of learning. So uh, it's been a tremendous honor to talk with you, Jim. Uh, I'm a big fan of your work. And I do want to give you a closing thought here as we kind of wrap up our conversation. As you think about leadership in general, um, you've had such a wonderful career what is your goal or what is your vision as you look throughout and you talk to leaders throughout the country? What is your hope uh, for leadership as a, um, just as a means for moving people forward? Barry and I, when we first began, asked ourselves, what is our vision? And uh, we came up with a phrase that still resonates with us today, Greg, and that is that uh, it is to liberate the leader in everyone. Barry and I are on a mission to help people understand that they have the capacity to lead and to help them believe in that capacity and then to look at in their life where they can make a difference, where they want to make a difference and where they can make a difference and then to help them develop the skills and abilities which we know they have the capacity to use and to develop uh, so that they can make that difference that they want to make. So it is to liberate the leader in everyone. 
Well, Jim, once again, thanks for your time. I could talk with you all day about leadership. Obviously, that's a passion of mine as well. Get the book, folks, The Leadership Challenge. Look at those five practices. Go out and use this assessment tool and kind of see where you're at uh, because it could certainly be a game changer for you in your school district. So with that, I want to thank all of our loyal listeners for the Reimagined Schools podcast. And as always, folks, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at drgreggoins.